Hello and welcome to the My VA Dayton podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk with veterans in the Western Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Leese, your host with co-host Greg Tucker. And we have with us today a Navy veteran and a veteran actor, Alan Bomar-Jones. Welcome, Alan. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to have you here today. Hey, Alan is a uh, native of Dayton. Most recently was in the TV series A League of Their Own, playing the role of Pastor Presley. And I believe that's an Amazon series, correct? That's an Amazon series. You're correct. Fantastic. Yes. Uh, hot, hot on the airwaves right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, his feature films include um, Criminal Activities, where he played Agent Riker, uh, appearing alongside John Travolta. Uh, White Boy Rick, where he played Officer Willie Volson. Uh, appearing next to Matthew McConaughey. Uh, another uh, great film is Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Yes. What a, what a title right there, <laughs> uh, where he played Judge Stuart Hansen uh, and appearing with Zac Efron. He has also been in Native Son, where he played Detective Calhoun. And these are just a few of his film credits. Uh, locally, he has taught theater and language arts 10 at Colonel White High School, where he is uh, alum here in Dayton, and now is teaching at Wright State University. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Before we get to know more about you, we're going to put you to the test. <sighs> <laughs> That's right. It's time to play Don't Tell Me. I think I know that. This is the game where we put our guests to the test of their knowledge of military trivia. It's also a game where our listeners can play along to see if their minds are mired in mounds of military minutia like ours are. Are you ready for this challenge? Yes. Now that I know I'm not wrestling, I thought that was an There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's your first question. All right. Um, we, we, We actually customize these because we know you're in the Navy. So we've got a bunch of Navy questions here for you. So your first question is, when boarding a naval vessel, what must a sailor do first? Would it be A, ask the officer of the deck for permission to board, B, salute the flag, C, salute the officer of the deck, or D, do the hokey pokey? (laughs) Considering I've never been on a ship, um, I'm just going to take a guess and say probably B. That's right. Salute the flag. Good answer. All right. Here's your second question. This is really going to stump you because uh, it's another one related to the ship here. Okay. So when leaving the ship, you must first do what? A, do the hokey pokey. B, salute the wheelhouse. C, salute and ask the OOD for permission to leave the ship. Or D, salute the flag. Well, I think when in doubt, just, or I'd say C. That's right. C, salute and ask the officer of the deck for permission to leave the ship. Now, here's your third and final question. Thank you. Uh, What do you call it when the ship is put on high alert? Uh, Now, you're a movie actor. You've probably seen this a thousand times. Uh, what What do they announce over the loudspeaker? Would it be A, red alert, B, general alarm, C, all hands on deck, or D, general quarters? D, general quarters. That is the right answer. Fantastic. You are a pro at this. Oh, you got all three answers uh, correct. Uh, so, Greg, what is Alan uh, going to win for playing our game today? Yeah. 
you have won a set of VA industrial strength chip clips designed by NASA's aerospace engineers to keep your chips crisp on your next stellar space journey or wherever you may be traveling in the near future. All compliments of the Dayton VA. All right. I'll going to be traveling stellarly pretty soon anyway. That's fantastic. And you got those fantastic Dayton VA uh, chip clips that everybody wants. So we're going to take a quick break now. Uh, when we come back, we'll hear more from our Navy veteran, Alan Bomar-Jones, and what he's doing in the world of the performing arts today. Our veterans put everything on the line to protect our freedom. We may never be able to repay them for their sacrifice, but we can show them just how much we appreciate all they've done. Every day, hundreds of people just like you volunteer to help our veterans. You can help by simply sharing your time, lending a warm smile, a supportive hand, or a sympathetic ear to someone who needs it. Everyone can do something to make our veterans know how much we appreciate their service. What will you do? Hope, where are you hiding? I search for you in the seconds, the minutes of each and every day. Hear me as I call out to you. Take my hand. Lift me up as I lift up others. Welcome me home, father, mother, sister, brother, son daughter. Hear us now. Alone we stood, divided we fell. No longer. Now we choose to make the connection. Our new mission lies within. Visit maketheconnection.net to learn more. And we're back with Alan Bomar Jones, a Navy veteran and professional actor. So, Alan, I got to tell you, I'm an I'm an Air Force veteran, um, but I'm also a great movie fan, and I've always noticed that the Navy always has the best movies. Never never good movies about the Air Force. The Navy rocks Hollywood. I don't know. Did you see the last? Uh, um, okay, Tom Cruise Tom is doing Cruise, it. Tom Cruise is doing it right now for okay. the Air Force. Okay. But historically, over time. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Tom Cruise is Navy, though. Oh, he is. Oh, Even though it's okay. Top Gun and that is Navy. That's right. Uh, oh, so, okay. yes, again, <laughs> take it away from the Air Force. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. What can I say? I'm blessed. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to ask, you know, with, with, um, with your background in the Navy, being an actor, uh, having your connections in Hollywood, have you ever thought about making a, a movie about the Navy? Because um, I, I love the classic movies about the Navy, like The Cane Mutiny. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd make a great Commander Quig. <laughs> no, I, I wish I could make a movie. I couldn't make a movie about me, let alone the Navy. But uh, <laughs> I would love to probably be in one, you know, to be uh, one of the actors or one of the players in a movie about the Navy. Yeah. So are you going to pitch that now? To, to yes, uh, all you Hollywood people out there. Uh, <laughs> Alan Bomar Jones is looking for that role in the Navy movie all very right. soon. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell us, um, tell us about your, your latest adventure. My latest adventure? Yes. Well, of course, the latest film that I did, which you already mentioned, was League of Their Own, and that was really fun. I shot that in uh, 
Pittsburgh. But what I'm doing now, I'm a, I'm a man with three jobs. <laughs> so I, I teach uh, acting aesthetics at Wright State University. I teach two sessions of that, so that takes place Monday through Thursday mornings. And then I leave there, and I'm the producing artistic director at Town Hall Theater, which is a children's theater. And so I help produce the productions there and bring in anyone who wants to use our facilities. So I'm sort of the guy that rents out the space. And then at night, I go to Vandalia and I'm directing Elf, the musical. Really? Yes. And it opens in about three weeks. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, actually, we're going to be... Uh, we're actually going to be dropping this podcast in December, so it's about the same time that you guys are going to be on stage. So oh, cool. perfect timing to talk about that. So yeah. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it opens the first weekend in December, and we have over 50 kids in it. And um, if you've ever directed anything with 50 kids, you are very special. Because yes. Yeah, what, what's, what is the, the great line about actor, uh, actors never deal with kids and animals? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, they don't, they, they don't like to work with kids and animals. <laughs> but in, in this case, and I think I've been blessed in this way, that um, I've been given kids that not only like to listen to me, but they are bold. They're daring. And so any crazy, fun stuff I come up with, they're willing to do it. And as a result, the audience has a great time watching these young people perform. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Now, Alan, how did you start with this acting? Well, and that's a great question because that's going to bring me back to how I got into the military. Okay. What, what a lot of people don't know is I, I was, for lack of better words, a juvenile delinquent when I was in high school. I get to the 12th grade and I decide to drop out and just to see what the streets were like, which was not a good idea. However, what I had the advantage of is I had two older brothers who went into the Navy. And I'll never forget one day I'm hanging out at home, getting ready to catch the bus downtown, and my oldest brother came home on leave. And man, when he walked in that door with that Navy uniform on, I didn't know what to think. I was I was just in awe. And, you know, his hair was clean cut. And I mean, it was just, it was a really great moment for me. And uh, he asked me while he was home finally, what, what was I going to do? You know, now that I'm not in school anymore, am I going to go to college? What's going on? And I really didn't know. He said, you know, you need to, you need to get in the military. You know, I just kind of ignored him. And it's like, okay, whatever. And then he asked me once he got out, which he was, on the verge of his last year, that I should come live with him in Chicago, which I thought that was cool. So I hung out on the streets of Dayton for that whole year, and then by, I'd say, probably late summer, uh, I went and stayed with him in, in, uh, the Na in, in Chicago. And while I was there, he talked me into going into the Navy. He took me down to the recruiting office. I didn't even know he was going to do it. And he said, I want you to go in and talk to these people. Because he could see that I wasn't. You know, I wasn't motivated to do anything. And I went in there and I talked to them. And the next thing I know, I'm on a late night flight to <laughs> to a boot you camp were, in Great you were Lakes. Shanghai? I'm telling you, man. Hell <laughs> oh, yeah. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me um, because I really embraced the experience. Because I've always been a kind of young man that when I do something, I put my all into it, whether it's good or bad. And so when I got into the Navy, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to. To excel and I did and um, as a result two and a half years later when I got out I went straight into college because I had that 
that VA, um, you know, um, school um, tuition money coming in. And, you know, the rest is history because, oh, this is the part I need to not miss in being in the military. So I'm on base and there was a part-time job opened up that you could operate the movies at night for the soldiers. And I said, oh, I, I'll do that. So what I would do is go in, I'd set up the chairs and I would go in the booth. And, I, and back then it wasn't as easy as pushing a button. You had to really take these large reels and put them on, you know what I mean? And feed them down in through the camera and back around. Thread it. Yeah. And, and when I was doing that, I was, and inside of the reels, the case was the synopsis of the movie and all the actors, and it talked about that. And that was when I got my bug and said, man, that looks like something I'd like to do. Um, but I've got to tell you one of the funny experiences of doing that. So I'm sitting in the booth and I'm, I'm operating and I start the movie. Everybody said not there. And a movie comes on and nothing. Nothing. Somebody looked back and said, hey, Alan, turn the sound up. <laughs> so I'm reaching around trying to sound, you know, turn the sound up. And I look at the case and it said silent movie. Oh. And I stuck my head out the booth. I said, it's a silent movie. And they all busted out laughing because that's when Mel Brooks did silent movie. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. And it really was a silent movie because I thought I had messed up, man. So, but anyway, after I got out of the military, that's when I decided to go to Sinclair Community College, start taking acting classes. And um, from there, you know, I just start auditioning. I have to give kudos to community theater because that's where I got my acting chops. And then I became a resident artist at the Human Race Theater Company. And then from there, I got the confidence to just go out into wherever it was within driving distance and audition right. and start working as a regional actor. And then I'd say probably in 2018, no, no, when, whenever I did um, Criminal Activities, that was my first movie, I started auditioning for them, that, and, and I started finding luck, and I said, you know, this is a lot easier. <laughs> you go in one day or one week and you work and you're done with the play you got to rehearse for seven to eight weeks or six to eight weeks and then you put the play on for two or three weeks so it takes months and months and i thought this is much easier so i've been focused mostly on the movies and, and tv yeah. so what was your first role uh mm-hmm. the, as an actor whether not, not just movies but Period. On Period. Stage, that's, yeah. that's What's really your good. very first role? Well, how far back do you want me to go? All the way back. <laughs> okay. I'm in the fourth I'm, grade. Okay. That's, there you go. That's and and our teacher would take us to the uh, auditorium and we get on stage. And I, we didn't know she was prepping us for a show. She teaches how to project and all that. And then um, about four or five weeks later, we did this show. And I played the king of the sea. And my line, which I always say when I tell people, my line was, I am the king of the bottom of the sea, and everything that lives here belongs to me. The fish, the crustaceans, and the shells. I am the king of the bottom of the sea. And that was all I had. And, man, I was the proudest king. And you didn't get the role for Little Mermaid? <laughs> no. Uh, no. They should have hired you on the spot for that. I know. So what was your first serious acting role? Really good. I love your questions. My first really serious acting role would have been Fences by August Wilson, directed by Sheila Ramsey, a really good, the late Sheila Ramsey, a very good friend of mine. And um, she actually introduced me to August Wilson because when she was going to direct it, she called me and said, hey, have you ever heard of August Wilson? I said, nope. She said, come on down here and audition from there. I'm doing Fences, and I want you to audition. I said, okay. 
So I go down and audition, and she gave me the lead role, which was Troy Maxim. Now, I don't know if you know anything about fences, but Troy Maxim talks 85% of the time in the show. I had never, to that point, had that amount of lines to memorize. And I was teaching at Colonel White at the time, and, I, and then going to rehearsals at night. So trying to fit in memorization was mind-boggling. And she sat me down and she told me something that I pass on to the young people that I teach right there at Wright State. She said, Alan, you have one job as an actor. Learn your lines. She said, I'll do the rest. I'll direct you. I'll make you good. But you got to know your lines. If you don't know your lines, then you're no good to us. So is there a secret to that? I mean, there's methods for sure. And it's funny, this is so timely. I was just <laughs> working with a young man who's a comedian in town, and he wants me to teach him to be an actor. His name's Neil. And one of Neil's biggest problems is memorization. And so I went through a list of memorization techniques that I have used over the years that will work really well for him. But, you know, also you got to commit the time to it. And, uh, you know, things like, uh, for instance, now that they have cell phones, this is an easy method to use, is you, if you're doing, like if you have scenes, you do the other person's lines, then you don't say anything. Then you do the other person's lines, then you don't say anything. You do the other person's line, then you play it back, you listen to their lines, and then you fill in with your line. Then their next line comes, and then you fill in with your line. Well, two things happen. One is you start to get the flow of doing a scene, and two, you're learning your cue lines, when you're supposed to speak. That was what the problem was. Remember I was telling you guys about my acting class when I got here? Yeah. That was a problem on Monday. They're standing on stage going, is it my turn to talk? Okay. Is it my <laughs> turn to talk? Oh. So I use, that's one of my famous techniques. And another one is, because I used to travel a lot out of town to do shows. And so when I would travel, I would record all of my lines. At the time, we had CD players in cars. <laughs> and I would throw a CD in and just listen to my lines all the way. And the reason for that, is we memorize music from listening. I mean, if I said, tell me your favorite song, you could quote the entire, all the lines in the song because you've heard it so much. Right. Not because you've read it or you wrote it, but because the repetition of hearing. And that's how I teach the memory. And I'm sure with acting too, it's not just knowing the lines, but knowing when to come in, yes. and how to react to yes. the other person. Uh, to. Yeah. To, as, as opposed to just as I sit here, I just read uh, my notes, uh, <laughs> and and there's there's no interaction uh, yeah, until we right. get down to the interview you're part, right. and and this is all, you know, off the cuff. So I, I can't imagine actually learning, like you said, 80 percent or more of the play <sighs> is yeah. you. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. then having to know when that other person's coming in and mm -hmm. how to react to their, their yeah. comments. And, and to make those lines, and this is why I always get on my kids about learning early, to make them sound like you're talking and not right. like you're reciting to make lines. make them come to life. Right. To make it just sound natural, yeah. Right. And that, that play in itself, I always tell people that play taught me acting, mm -hmm. you know, because August wrote enough lines for that guy to say, you're going to have to learn how to just regurgitate this <laughs> like you're talking to people. Yeah, and I love that. I'd, I'd play that role again today, even though I have a poor memory. But <laughs> <laughs> that was a great question. Uh -huh. Yeah. So as far as with the young people that you're teaching at the uh, town hall theater, mm -hmm. uh, you had mentioned that that's one of the uh, highlights or exciting mm -hmm. parts right there. How are children? What are some of the tools that you're giving children for us to help them with their memorization? 
I wish I could teleport you guys back to see some of the shows I've directed and then compare them to other shows that direct with kids. One of the problem I found when I first started directing kids is too many directors were say, oh, but they're just kids. We just get them out on stage so their parents can see them. They're, that's it. And I hate that idea. I would challenge kids just as much as a director as I challenge adults. And they will, under strong direction, they will step up to the challenge. Another thing is they've got to have fun. You know, so I, I always include a lot of things that are funny to them or that they would do under those situations or just running around and, and, and having a good time. And then the third thing is I try to teach them the same things we're talking about is that when you're talking to someone, you're behaving with someone, make it as natural as possible, just like real life. Uh -huh. And I take them through the whole process of being real. And another thing that uh, people enjoy about my shows is if I got roles for 15 kids and I've got 50 kids in the show, those 50 kids aren't just going to be standing around on stage. They're going to be getting bit parts to do. They're going to be given and I should not say this, lines to say, <laughs> or action. You know, they're going to be involved. And so what young people in Vandalia have discovered with me, if you're an Alan show, you're going to shine. It's one way or the other, you're going to shine, whether you have lines or songs or not. So I find it very enjoyable working with, with children because they have no fear. They haven't gotten to our age where we think, oh, that feels silly, or no, I'm not going to do that. No. They're well, like, cool. and, and that uh -huh. was going to be my question. You know, you're talking about working with kids, mm -hmm. um, and and yet you still uh, teach adults as well. But mm -hmm. when is the cutoff point for somebody to go into that career or to explore that career? Can you can you tell me what you mean when you say cutoff point? So. If you've got somebody who's had dreams all their life to be an actor and they've waited until they're 60 years old, they've retired, they've got time on their hands now that mm -hmm. so they can go pursue other dreams right. uh, that they've never had time to do before. Right. There is no cutoff. Yeah. They will always need, whether it's on stage, film, or TV, they will always need an actor that's 60, yeah. 65, exactly. 70, 80. 80. They will always need those. It's better to cast someone that age than to try to find a 35-year-old and say, okay, you're going to be this 75-year-old yeah. I know Dustin Hoffman did that when, with one movie. He played several generations right. of the character. But that's, that's, not a, that's not unusual because he is the same guy that he was playing all those years. Right. But, that, you know, and that's, that's the good thing about acting is if, if you're serious and you're willing to travel and really willing to work hard, no matter what age you are when you get in, you will find something for you. But are there yourself. additional challenges when you're older to to start learning? Yeah, yeah. If you, uh, you know, dementia, you know, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. But articulation, experiences, body movement, whatever, whatever your limitations are, that's what you probably would go for. You would be cast in. The only limitation that would hurt you in this business is your memory. That's it. Um, now, one of the things that I, I remember, uh, Fellini, what he used to do, and that would be he would look for characters who or people who looked like the characters that mm -hmm. he would cast in his films. Yeah. Now, that's Federico Fellini. Yeah, and that's um, uh -huh. that's a hard truth that I have to explain to my 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 students at Wright State is that I don't care how good you are. 
I don't care how you think you can do better than that girl or guy. If they think, now that looks like a Midwestern waitress to me, you don't, you're a little too pretty or whatever the case may be, they're going to cast that person that visually looks that way. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I won't necessarily say that I went into the, the film because in theater, I, I was cast as any and everything. And that was great. But when I went into film and TV that I had an idea of what I was auditioning for, I found out that I was being cast as judges, detectives, police officers, Anybody of authority is where they would mostly <laughs> cast me. I've even played a mayor and a pastor. So I've said, okay, and once I figured that out, then that's what I aimed for. Now, here's So the, you embrace the stereotype. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got to because you can't right. fight the system of Hollywood. That's that's what they they think I'm And and this is always something that I hear sometime down the line and it's always funny is, well, I don't want to limit myself. Okay, well you don't have to, they will. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yes, they will. Not everyone is a Meryl Streep or Dustin Hoffman and and has that breadth in in, uh, their experience in in acting. And the people you named have started out in certain roles that they played. And when they got the respect, they said, okay, you know, Tom Hanks is another one of those. Now I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to try that. And people will let them do it, you know. But yeah, you got to earn that. But I think uh, more, more often than not, the character actor is just as employed, if not more employed, than sometimes than the leading man or leading woman that has a longer career. Oh, my goodness. You are the first human being that I've talked about acting that notices that. There is this documentary called, what's the name of that guy in that thing? And it's all character actors talking about their work and how... They are. They, they're they in more movies than the stars are, That's if you right. think about it. That's right. Because they need those character actors. They need those faces yeah. that you see in the, the same guy playing the detective that's exactly. playing the chief, that's playing the, oh, often, yeah. Often fitting that stereotype. That. And it's like, yeah. okay, we, we know exactly who we're going to cast because he's <laughs> right. done it a hundred times. Right. When I did um, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, one of the guys playing the attorney, I had seen him on several TV shows, and I could not remember his name. But I knew his face. Yeah. And I walked up to him and I said, man, I love your work. And I tried to name something he was in. And I said, weren't you in The, the Good Wife? He said, yeah, I played so-and-so. And so. I said, oh, okay. And then I started. At, and, you know, you look at, if you go back in IMDB, these guys, you look at their resume. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It is huge. They work all the time. Absolutely. And Absolutely. we as viewers, we don't care. We don't mind that we see them no. because they're not, quote, unquote, the focus of the movie. And those are the people that after a while they start working less and less because the focus of what we want right. changes. Exactly. So I'm fine being a, right. a character actor. Now, if I can ask, mm-hmm. uh, if you can share with our viewers, there is a difference because you had mentioned far as the memorization uh, that's required, but there's a difference between stage acting mm-hmm. and film acting. If yes. you can share oh, with yeah. us. Oh, it's stage acting. You got to have your memory in order because you're going to get a script and you're going to have several weeks to learn every line you have in that script in the way it's written. And then the reason why I say in a way it's written, because there's some actors actually believe, well, I'm in the ballpark. Well, I'm sorry. If you say a line and those last three words are the cue before I speak, I expect to hear those. And if so if you're in the ballpark and you're just improvising because you know what this is supposed to say, you're going to throw me off. 
And that, that was something I had to talk to my students about yesterday. So um, you have to be a lot, and, and it's the same in film and TV, but you really have to be word perfect and you have a lot to learn. Now you get to film and, and TV, sometimes you're just in a small scene. And a lot of times, if you're not the star, you won't get that scene until you get to the set and they'll go, this is your scene, go learn your lines. And it may be three or four pages, you know, depending on importance you are. So you don't have uh, a lot of, you know, what, what's the word I'm trying to use? Demand for memorization, okay? And when you're recording something and if you flop it, they'll go, cut, okay. Alan, can you, can you back off just a little bit, be a little more nicer? He is your boss. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Then they'll record it again until they get it right. But I proudly say that when I did criminal activities with John Travolta, um, that when I was in the scene with him and another young actor I won't name <laughs> was my partner, that I got my lines. Don't describe it too much because <laughs> okay. you give it away there. I, I got my lines in one take, and the director came out, who was Jackie Early. He came out and said, let's just do another one for safety. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So he goes back and we do another, and my friend, 13 takes later, and he had less <laughs> lines than I did. Uh, Jackie came out, and he just stared at him. He said, I don't want to spend all the rest of this time. And all this is going on while John Travolta is sitting right across from us, okay? And he said, on, on this, he said, you've got to nail it or I'm just going to. And he looked at me, I'm going to give your lines to him. <laughs> and by the time I'd already memorized it because, I, you know, he had said it so many times. So, yeah, you got to, you, your memorization is, is key in both areas. But the demand for your memory isn't quite as big. Even when a star is in a whole movie, he's going to probably shoot three or four pages a day, if that many, yeah. you know, depending on the movie, of course. So actors, uh, and, I'll, and I'll take a, a stab at this one and say okay. actors like... Um, Robin Williams, who's oh. known for going off script, yeah. going down roads that nobody has ever chartered before. <laughs> yes, um, I'm assuming that unless you were a great talent like that, it's not appreciated. But right. but at the same time, um, I've heard that sometimes when you've got that spontaneity, it it builds energy. Mm -hmm. But how do you how do you control that, or or is that ever welcomed? Well, I'm going to have to take a guess here, but my guess is when you have someone like Robin Williams or uh, the two guys that played, bro is it brother-in-laws? Uh, I can't think of their names. Oh, is, is it Will Ferrell and... No, might have been, but they, they pretty much improvised the whole movie. When you have an actor like Robin Williams, you've got to get actors as comfortable with improv. Right. Okay. Because then they know if it goes off script, you've got to keep feeding him or you've got to change wheels and then you'll get back on the script later. And that's fine if you have those. But there are some pros in it that's like, what the <laughs> heck is he doing? That's not what it's cut, cut. Yes. I, you know, and they get thrown by it. They don't like it, you know. So I, I would imagine in casting they consider that when you're working with an improvisation actor. Right. I've never had that incident happen. So I, that's why I said I'm, on, I'm probably guessing here on that. Yeah. You know, we can go on and on talking <laughs> with you here, Alan. But I know you're pressed on time and we're pressed on time. We have to get into this first break right here. We're going to go ahead and take one break and okay. then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, your experience as far as with the Dayton VA. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to talk about how I discovered the VA hospital. 
Okay, and we'll do that once we come back. We'll be right back. With the signing of the PACT Act, VA now has a huge list of presumptive conditions attributed to burn pits or other toxins. They also have a new extensive list of locations where they presume these exposures occurred. With regard to presumptive conditions, the list includes brain cancer, gastrointestinal cancer of any type, glioblastoma, head cancer of any type, kidney cancer, lymphatic cancer of any type, lymphoma of any type, melanoma, neck cancer, pancreatic cancer, reproductive cancer of any type, and respiratory cancer of any type. Illnesses that are now presumptive include asthma that was diagnosed after service, chronic bronchitis, COPD, chronic rhinitis, chronic sinusitis, constrictive bronchiolitis or obliterative bronchiolitis, emphysema, granulomatous disease, ILD, pleuritis, pulmonary fibrosis, and sarcoidosis. Locations for presumptive exposure on or after August 2nd, 1990 include Bahrain, Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, UAE, and the airspace above any of these locations. To find out more information about how the PACT Act affects you and your VA benefits, you can also visit VA's comprehensive website about the PACT Act by visiting va.gov pact, where you'll also be able to apply for VA health care or apply for or submit a supplemental claim for VA disability. Or you can always call VA's information hotline 24-7 at 1-800-698-2411. And thanks for that information from the, the uh, SIT rep concerning the uh, PACT Act. Alan, prior to going to break, we were getting into your experience as far as with the Dayton VA. How did you come about? Um, so after I went to college and was acting in the community, I started teaching. And then I got a great opportunity at Dayton Public Schools to become a, a drama teacher at Colonel White. And that gave me insurance, which was great, you know. So at the time, I didn't have any real needs, you know. If I wanted to go to a doctor, I, I even got my first cataract, not cataract, cataract but um, eye correction surgery. All of that through the school and it cost me very little. Then they cut over 300 teachers. And, you know, the arts teachers were one of the first ones to go. And my wife and I found ourselves unemployed, and so we started uh, doing, uh, I said, I'm going to dive into acting 100%, but I was not covered by anything, you know. And I remember having a conversation with my brother, and he said, well, why don't you go to the VA? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, the VA hospital, you're military, you can go to the VA hospital. I said, I don't have any money to be a part. Go. Go, talk to them, sign up, they'll start you know, seeing you. And, and I thought he was nuts. I thought, well, maybe you did. And, you know, maybe something happened when you were in the, in the military and, and they gave you that opportunity. So I went and I signed up and immediately they started working on my diabetes because that was one of the issues I had. And they found other things, um, you know, high blood pressure and all that. And, and I started getting medication and I found that the billing was very minimum. And I'm like, what the heck's going on here? And I have been going there ever since. And the funny thing is, when I first started going there, and I love my wife to death, we are the best partners in the world, she was a little skeptical. Are you going to the VA? Well, yeah. Why? Because they take care of me. Hello. You know, I'm still an uninsured man. I, I mean, now I have Medicare because I'm retired. But uh, they take wonderful care of me. And she realized it 
it really was sold to her when I broke my leg in January. And they took me to a regular hospital, and I kept saying, take me to the VA, take me to the VA. So they finally transferred me to, to the VA, and they took good care of me, and they gave me therapy, and they gave me medication. And she thought that we were just, you know, oh, we're going to get all flooded with all these bills and everything. And between Medicaid and the VA, I have saw, I've seen probably the most minimal bills that I've ever had in my life. They took good care of me. Guys, if you're out there listening, if you're in the military, if you're coming out of the military, get your butts to the VA, to the VA hospital, the VA representatives. America will take care of you. So, you know, you've given that um, that vote of confidence for the VA, telling telling your fellow veterans. Um, yeah. What what took you so long to come to that realization? Again, I was full time teacher. I yeah. had full medic, medical coverage. I didn't right. need any outside. I didn't even think about the fact that I was right. a vet. Uh, and it wasn't until um, I was talking to my brother about the last doctor visit I had and all of that, and he said, well, why come you're not going to the VA? I'm like, what? And yeah. he told me about it. So your brother had been going for a while yes, before. Yes, he had been uh, going. And, and he didn't tell you about it before No, he lives then? in Cincinnati. I live in Dayton. We, we communicate on a you know needed basis. So. Right. No, I had no idea what he was doing for his medical, uh, you know, stuff. But it was going to the VA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he set me on the right track. God bless him. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So um, if you were going to talk to another veteran about what your best experience with the VA has been, you know, you're talking about how, how great it was when they, when they took care of your broken leg and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, what, is, what is unique to, 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 for your experience with the Dayton VA that uh, – you find it different from a civilian hospital? Um, uh, what I have found with the VA, and I, and I am continually amazed by it, is that no matter what it is that's wrong with me, no matter what my ailment is, contact them. They will either have a way or they will find a way. And I can't say that that's what happens in a hospital setting. You know, I'm sure that they'll take care of what your problem is, and then that's it. But, you know, I have follow-up meetings. I have people calling me and asking me about my medication. I have my primary care people, excuse me, that'll check on me to see, you know, how I'm doing or say we need a follow-up appointment. You know, and, and usually you as yourself, you've got to, to set that up with your physician or whoever, you know, just taking care of you. But they, they make consistent contact with me to check and see how I'm doing. And that is wonderful because I'm a busy guy, you know, sometimes I forget, you know. Right. And uh, they make sure I don't. Yeah, I find that's, that, that's very true that, you know, you get busy. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, especially being a guy, I think a lot of us guys say, yeah. okay, that's the last thing we worry about is our health. Yeah. And they do. They do remind you. They send you those postcards to remind yeah. you of your appointment. They mm -hmm. follow up with uh, different exams and so forth and, and, yeah. and explore different options uh, for, for treatment. Uh, so uh, I agree 100% that yeah. that's, that's something that I find unique about yes. VA healthcare is yes. that um, they seem to go that extra mile and beyond sometimes. Yeah. And I know this sounds cliche, but they changed my life. They literally changed my life. I now wake up do things, go to bed, feeling secure, feeling comfort, 
sorry, guys. That's all right. <laughs> but that's that's what I love about it. Well, we really appreciate you uh, sharing your story, sharing that experience, and uh, having you here today. Um, we love hearing all the stories from our veterans from around the, uh, the Dayton region, but uh, yours has been a, a really great one today. And thank you for coming <laughs> in and taking time and sharing that with everyone. Oh, Shucks, he says it to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you. Thank, thank you guys for great questions. Thank you for listening and allowing me to be me. I was in the military. I didn't know that when I left, I was eligible for health care through the VA. I thought you had to be disabled or been wounded. Another vet told me I should check it out. Now, I have the care I need at the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511, extension 2159, to enroll. Or visit dayton.va.gov. If you're homeless or at risk of becoming homeless, we can help. We offer many programs and services, including free health care, and we can help you connect with resources in your community. We help veterans who are homeless or at risk of becoming homeless due to financial hardship, unemployment, addiction, depression, or transition from jail. Contact one of our care coordinators to get help with immediate food and shelter needs, including both transitional and permanent housing, job training, life skills development, and education, justice system navigation, and community reentry from jail, financial support to prevent homelessness, addiction, and depression treatment, along with health and dental care. Now, if you or someone you know that's a veteran who is homeless or at risk of becoming homeless due to financial hardship, unemployment, addiction, depression, or transitioning from jail, the VA Medical Center can help you. Contact a homeless services care coordinator to get help. Contact our health care coordinator at 937-268-6511, extension 1364. We want to say thanks again to our special guests for taking time today to share their story. We truly enjoy hearing stories from veterans from across the region and learning more about how they found care through the Dayton VA Medical Center. And as always, we want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind them if they are a veteran and are not enrolled to enroll with the Veterans Health Administration to receive health care benefits through the Dayton VA Medical Center. It's easy and it doesn't cost a thing. You just need to be a veteran. The simplest way to start enrollment is to call our enrollment and eligibility office at 937-268-6511, extension 4105. They can schedule an appointment for you to come to the Dayton campus or help make an appointment at one of the surrounding community-based outpatient clinics located at Springfield, Richmond, Lima, and Middletown. Again, that number is 937 937- 268-6511, extension 4105. Veterans may also enroll by visiting www.choose.va.gov health. While there, you can choose from applying online or by phone or by mail. It's just that simple, really. As I said before, it doesn't cost a thing to apply. 
So what are you waiting for? Call us today. Or if you know of a veteran who is not enrolled, have them call to start taking advantage of this benefit. If you're a veteran, it's your VA. Sign up today. Join us again for another episode of My VA Dayton with the Dayton VA Medical Center. Our episodes drop the 1st and 15th of each month. I'm Scott Lease with your co-host, Greg Tucker. Thanks again for listening to My VA Dayton.